Thank you guys for leading us in worship and singing some of those great, great old songs. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter number 7. We are all familiar with 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 7 verse 14, but what I'd like to do this morning is go with you through the whole chapter and looking at the message of an unchanging prescription for spiritual awakening. And this morning I want to do some in-depth commentary uh, and, and, and share some things with you about this text. But before that, if you would allow me to introduce this message by giving you the context from my perspective of the need today. We face some things in this country that we have never faced before. Yesterday, the first pastor had been released from jail in North America, Jonathan Coates, for being imprisoned and his church changed in Alberta, Canada by the Canadian government for worshiping. The very birthing of this nation and the very cry of liberty by one of the founding fathers from Virginia, Patrick Henry, who himself was a Baptist, was that we will no, hold no government as tyranny over our relationship with God. That is different. But this country has faced crises as severe as what we face today. Being a history nerd, I go back and sometimes and explore these times. When England made the decision to relinquish and surrender at the Revolutionary War, part of it was that in Parliament and the brain trust of England was they said America will never last. It does not have the moral fiber as a country to last. And in the mid-end of the 18th century, many people thought they were right because 1794, many people said it was the lowest moral point of the United States. By the time the third president, John Adams, had gone into office, he wrote privately that he was concerned whether the nation would last. In 1794, with 5 million residents in the colonies, it was estimated that over 300,000 people, uh, these are people who've gone back and projected databases, said that we had addictions. There was a high percentage of people who were true daily alcoholics. The new colonies, what they called over the Alleghenies, were a place of lawlessness. Kentucky, Ohio, had no court hearings for five years. No trial had been made. It was considered a place of lawlessness. And then about 1798, a country preacher named Isaac Bacchus and I could go in and give you more details how in, in, the, in New York the, the Episcopal bishop had given up practice. They had closed some of the churches. And the colleges, there was a rebellion against students. Nassau Hall at Princeton, which was a school that was born on the missionary movement, 
had been burnt down. The Eucharist had been mocked at Yale to the point that a student went in and desecrated the Eucharist cup. And then about the turn of the 18th, 19th century, something unusual began to happen. A group of people began to pray. A country preacher named Isaac Bacchus led a prayer movement and then in the 1810s and 20s as people began to pray, God began to change this country. And even though revisionist history tries to wash this away, the whole rise of social justice came out of the gospel and the spiritual awakening in this country. And can I say this loud? This is what I'm passionate about. The greatest call for social justice comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that will wake us up is Jesus. <laughs> Somebody asked me recently, was I woke? I said, I got woke August 8, 1973. <laughs> and I will tell you that's true. God changed my heart. I've had one church that wanted to fire me because I believe that the gospel knows no race or ethnic or social divide. And people began to pray. And in the 1840s and 50s, a spiritual awakening began in this country. It began not with the preachers. It began with the laymen. And the birth of abolition, the calling for the end of slavery, began as prayer meetings started in churches in 1857 and 58, where at noonday people would shut down their businesses and go to the churches and pray. And God began to send revival. At First Baptist Church, Paducah, Kentucky, their pastor was 88 years old. In two months during that spiritual awakening, he baptized 1,000 people and he died from baptizing people. Isn't that a great way to go? <laughs> because God's visited. Now, I will say to you that, and I will say this, and if it ruffles feathers, let them be ruffled. We will never turn back the clock, and we will never go back to the 60s and 70s and 80s. The Church of Jesus Christ will have to adapt some methodologies today to reach people but we never compromise or change the gospel. Spiritual awakening is still possible. I have not given up on the United States. It is a different day, but what happened 
at the birthing of the nation of Israel can happen today. I want to, uh, my time, I have 16 minutes. <laughs> so turn to the text with me. The background of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7 is the actual birthing of the nation of Israel when the two kingdoms had been unified first under David, the northern and the southern kingdom. And because of the things in David's life that compromised his relationship with the Lord, it was fallen to his son Solomon to build the temple. And so for 30 years they labored building the temple of God. And what we see contained in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is the 22-day separation, excuse me, celebration of the dedication of the temple. Would you begin with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1? When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory, the doxos in the Greek, the Shekinah in the Hebrew, filled the temple, and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the house. Now, to say to you that in, as they built the temple and went into it, uh, there was this picture of the consumption of the sacrifice by fire, which is the Old Testament symbol that God is satisfied, that he is satisfied, that he is pleased. And the Bible tells us that the glory of God had filled the temple, the outer court, the middle court, they didn't go into the Holy of Holies to such a degree that it was so thick they could not enter. Now I, I, I want to tell you, and I could go into theology on this, <laughs> and I don't want to go there, but I am not a sensationist. I do not believe that the supernatural acts of God that were in one day cannot be done in another. That God is a God who can work in the supernatural and that the glory of God can fill. Uh, there's a controversy today, a church in Northern California that claims the presence of God is filling that church. You can watch the videos on YouTube. I've watched them and I believe they're false because I don't believe we react that way. People are laughing. I believe we fall on our face. But I believe God's glory can fill the church. I've not seen this. I've, I've seen a taste of it. On October 28th in 1998, we uh, were called in that eight months prior to enter a new campus and uh, the previous pastor had died during the building of the church at the Town Creek Baptist Church in Aiken, South Carolina, and we had prayed about what we should do the first time going into that new church, and we decided that what we would do was ask the church to read the Word of God in the new church. So from Sunday at 12.30 until Wednesday, our, our staff was there in the middle of the night. We stopped reading Wednesday morning at 
for 30-minute increments, our whole church would come in and read 30 minutes of God's Word and then ask for God's blessing. And the people prayed. I can't describe this to you, and I, I know it's subjective and it can be the feely stuff, but I can tell you that when we walked into that church Sunday, the presence of God would almost knock you over. And that Sunday morning, 26 people joined our church, and it was all God. What, what we read about is possible today. And, and, and Richard, I'm going to get you to keep a clock on me today. But, uh, Sherry will hold up her hand and say, and one of the problems we have today, and, and this is not... This is from a contemporary perspective for the churches that are straight contemporary. This is from a traditional perspective for churches that are doing straight traditional. We have almost planned God out of the church. We have put everything on schedule. When I was pastor of Woodmont Baptist Church that uh, ran 800 on Sunday morning, it would be like a production number where people had it time. You know, God would have to interrupt to get in the middle. Some of that has to go. And we're going to have to let God be God. You go on down through the rest of the text. We hadn't even got to the message yet. Look, look at, look at uh, verse number 2. And the priest can, could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory had filled the house. And when the children came, the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord filled their temple. They bowed to their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised God, saying, For he is good, and for his mercy endures forever. One of the things that happened when God's holiness came, and, and there was the precluding to spiritual awakening, was that the sense of God brought a sense of awe. And, and if I can couch it this way or say good fear. <laughs> is there any such thing as good fear? Well, fear is not of the Lord, we're told in the New Testament. But a sense of the hand, that we're in the hands of God is there. And that's what they experienced. Now, I, I want to just look at verses 4 through 7 because th this is important. And then the king and all of the people offered 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 4. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 4. And then the king and all the peoples offered sacrifices before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 20,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. And so the king and all the people dedicated the house of the Lord. Now, when we read that, it doesn't mean a lot to us because it comes across as they're taking uh, thousands of sheep and they're taking thousands of cows and they're offering them to the Lord. Well, here's what those represented. That was a total agrarian society. So the cycle in an agrarian society is that rain comes, it brings up grain, Grain is raised, part of that is raised for consumption, another part is raised for given to livestock, which is the source of protein. 
So if the rain stops, if the climates are not right, then there are no more cows, there are no more sheep. So what happened was the giving of the sheep and the cows represented ultimately a word. Listen to this, to say, God, I trust you. And a sacrifice that is real always goes in this cycle. It goes from the cycle of saying, we sacrifice to you, but our sacrifice represents a trust in the fact that, God, we trust you. We're not going to trust ourselves because another drought could come. There could be no more goats and sheeps, but sheep. <laughs> but they were saying, God, ultimately, we trust you. Spiritual awakening, one of the byproducts will be an ultimate trust in the Lord. Our dependency is based on who he is. I say, Lord, I, I'm not going to trust how much money I have in the bank. I'm not going to trust how good I think my health should be. And I'd say to you, yes, we need to save money. I'd say to you, yes, we need to take care of ourselves health-wise. I'm not going to trust you with how many friends I have on Facebook or followers on Twitter. I'm not going to trust you with how much I write. I'm going to trust you that the risk I take in life are in your hands. My children, my grandchildren are in your hands. My church is in your hands. The search for a new pastor, it's in your hands. I, I'm, I'm not going to give it to my own hands. So when they birth the temple, that's what the context. For the sake of time, let's skip down. And we will go down to the important verses. All of them are important. <laughs> Look at verse 12. And I want to give you the context of verse 12. It's estimated that there were probably somewhere between 100 and 200,000 people who came for the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. For 22 days they had gathered from the accounts we have in 2 Kings chapter 9 and from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, we have the account that this celebration went on for many, many days, 22 days. And now they're sent home. And not through a, this is important, not through a prophet, but directly to Solomon. Listen to what it says in verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said, I want to stop there for just a moment. Do you know that God speaks to people? God speaks to people? Now, it can be a sign of psychosis and psychiatric problems if people come and say, I am and have this direct word from God, but he still speaks. Somebody asked the late Dr. R.G. Lee, does God ever speak to you? He said, yes. Does he speak in an audible voice? He said, no, a lot louder than that. The Lord appeared 
and Joel 2.28 said, talking about revival, I'm interrupting. Joel 2.28 said, in the latter days, your young men shall dream dreams and have visions. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. It was late at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. <laughs> what I'm going to do is just get as far as I can. I want to say to you that this house of sacrifice that he built has been torn down, rebuilt, torn down. It will be rebuilt again. It will be a place that God will use. Let's go on through the text. I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. And when I, listen to what he says, and when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command uh, the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, he's saying that when the time comes of great need, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Now I want you to look at verse 15, because we, we've quoted, we know by scripture, verse 14, but, I, but we don't pay much attention to verse 15. Look at verse 15. Now my eyes will, this is the Lord, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive, to the prayers made in this place. For now I have chosen, verse 16, and sanctified this house that my name may be forever. My eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. I'm, 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 I know I'm New King James. It doesn't say, somebody give me King, the end of verse 17 in KJV. What does it say? Not perpetually, it uses another adverb. Anyway, continually. But what happens is he's saying to them, when you have a need, when, when there's a need in your land, these are the prescriptions that I give to you. Let me walk through with you very quickly those prescriptions. If my people, he was calling out Israel by their name, the practice in the Hebrew custom of that day and still practiced in Orthodox Judaism is that the names that were being given would be related to someone in the family of the 12 tribes. There was a Hebrew name given. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar did in the book of Daniel when he brought in the people of God? The first thing he did, you remember? He took away their name. He said, if my people, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there is a need for us to be winsome with the world and to show them that we love them. But there is also that need to show that we are peculiar people who are different from them because of who we belong to. My wife says I'm crazy, but we, we want to do, I've, I've been on mission trips to Central Europe, but never spent time in Middle Europe or 
German area, and one of the places I want to go is to Auschwitz and Buchenwald. And she said, are you crazy? That's one of the most depressing places on earth. But at Auschwitz and Buchenwald, when they had designed the plan of conspiracy to eliminate 6 million Jews in Nazi Germany, one of the things they did was eliminate the name and identify everybody by number. And some of you who've been to Israel, you've been to Yad Vashem, the Museum of the Holocaust, and you've seen where there was inscribed the numbers because the name was taken away from the Hebrew people. God says, I know your name. And part of our identity is that we are told that our, what does it tell in the book of Revelation? That our name will be in the book of life. We sing an old hymn, there's a new name written in glory, and it's mine, oh Lord, it's mine. My people who know me by name and I know them by name. Look at the rest of what he says in that verse. <clears throat> who call me by my name will humble themselves. A call to humility, a call to recognizing our dependency upon the Lord. Yes, we must be warriors in this day to stand for what is truth, but the other part of it is we must be recognizing our dependency upon the Lord and pray. I, I, I don't want to go into this long, but folks, we're in a desert of prayer right now within the church. When COVID-19 hit us whatever date you want to give, November 2019 being transferred from China, January 2020, when it began to take our land, we retreated to our homes which and took proper precaution, which was the right thing to do. It was right that we should do what we can to protect other people. But one of the amazing things about what happened this past year is a lot of people were praying. And God answered in many, many ways. And some may disagree with me, that's okay. That's a good thing, Brother Steve, about being in the room. <laughs> you, you're going to be gone. <laughs> I always tell people when I'm in the room, say, I don't like that preacher. I say, well, you just... Just hang on, wait a little bit. He'll be gone a little bit. <laughs> but I believe God blessed this country in one of the fastest rates of the development of a vaccine. Never been that fast in, in time. And it was given. And yet, <laughs> very little glory has been given to God. Well, who, who's got to be at a barbecue at 1 o'clock? Okay. <laughs> All right. Let, let, now, let's, let's go through. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, there, there is 
a call for us to turn from a life that does not honor God to one. What does that mean? That means that what we watch and our subscriptions on television are different. It means that our social media presence is different from the world. It means that our lives honor God. He promised, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal the land. The idea of healing the land had the whole context of bringing back healing to the physical land. He was not just talking about spiritually. He said, I will actually make the land better. And my eyes will be open, verse 15, and my ears will be attentive to prayer. He said, I will hear you more. I will answer prayer. How do we know that God is, is hearing our prayers? Because he answers prayer. And how do we know God is answering prayer? Because we have a sense that either he's answering, yes, I will do this. No, I will not do it. Or wait. What he said happened was, I'll give you a sense that I'm listening. And you will have a sense. Look at verse 15. For... Uh, for verse 16 for now I have chosen to, to and sacrifice this house that my name may be there forever God made a promise he said if you will do this I will be with you folks I want to tell you this I have not given up on this country I have not given up on our churches I have not given up on the Southern Baptist Convention I have not given up on what God can do. In fact, in fact, uh, Sherry, I've mentioned this. We go home, we watch seven or eight churches. We are seeing many of the churches we have connections with right now having multiple baptisms. God is at work. I believe he's at work in this church. I believe he's getting this church ready for what he's going to do. When he calls that past, when you get, when, when God is at work, we cannot give up on God sending spiritual awakening to this country. Amen? Well, you got about half of the truckload, okay? <laughs> but thank you for listening. Let's stand together as we conclude this service. Father, we thank you for your precious and errant word that uh, cuts like a soar to the very soul and marrow of our being. Father, we thank you for the United States of America. There are people in this room who have sacrificed years of their life in service to this country. There are many who have been here who have put their lives on the line for this nation. And Father, for this nation, we thank you that you have sustained it by your hand. And Father, now in this day, we still believe that you have your hand on this country. But Father, now as voices speak against your name, as people cry out and mock the name of Jesus, may we as the people of God recognize 
we are not dependent upon the circumstances around us, but the God who saved us. And our trust is in you. Father, we love you. And we love those who need you. May our lives be filled with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, but may we be, uh, may you give us a heart as tender as a lamb, and Father, a skin as tough as a lion. We thank you for it, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening this morning. We've talked about a nation, but the great need of your life today may be in your own life. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never really met Jesus Christ. You have religion, but you really don't have a relationship. And God is calling you this morning to be a follower of Jesus and know Him. If that's the desire of your heart, you come right now. We'll share with you how you can know Jesus. Maybe you're looking for a church home. You say, boy, I just like this church, but it's not perfect. I told you this the first Sunday I was here. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you're going to mess it up. <laughs> it's not going to be perfect to Jesus come. If God's leading you here, you come. Maybe you need somebody to pray with you. You come and we'll pray with you this morning. We're going to sing that great hymn, There's a Redeemer.